as we're in this Christmas season, talking about good gifts. Last week we saw uh, good gifts are worth waiting for, and the, the many hundreds, even thousands of years that God's people had been waiting for the good gift uh, of a Messiah, of a Savior, as illustrated throughout the Old Testament, and how all of those promises for a Savior are fulfilled in Jesus and His birth. Today, I've entitled this sermon, Good Gifts Inspire Great Gratitude. Good gifts are not just worth waiting for, they're also uh, those things that, that uh, bring about attitudes and, uh, uh, and hearts of thankfulness in us. Uh, as a child growing up, and um, you who also have children are probably beginning to teach your children this, uh, when I received gifts from family members or friends or whatever for a birthday or Christmas, uh, I would have to sit down and write thank you cards. And, um, and you know how some of those thank you cards go. Sometimes they are less than uh, genuine, although well-intentioned, like, Dear Grandma, thank you for the hand-knitted socks. I promise I'll wear them. <laughs> Love Stephen, right? Something like a gift that was given and, and not maybe fully appreciated by the one who received it was not maybe seen as a good gift. And so the kind of gratitude that it inspires um, is, is trying really hard, but uh, maybe not genuinely uh, uh, grateful. But then there are some gifts that when they are given do inspire real gratitude in us and lead us to do more than, than just write a, a half-hearted thank you note. Consider your grandmother didn't uh, uh, give you a, a pair of hand-knitted socks. My grandmother never gave me a pair of hand-knitted socks, by the way, so that whole account is just fictional. Um, but assume that your grandmother did not give you a, a pair of hand-knitted socks, but assume she gave you a, a much more valuable gift. Uh, suppose that she, when she passed away, left a, a sizable inheritance to you. Uh, an inheritance that would help you to maybe pay off student debt and, and maybe purchase your house free and clear, or, or even uh, a sort of inheritance that would allow you to set some money aside to, to grow in a trust for paying for the uh, college tuition or whatever for your own children, a, a gift that would keep on giving, a gift that would maybe dramatically change your life. That's the kind of gift that you would get excited about and probably tell other people uh, that you had received. Uh, a gift that would change your life in that way, that would change your future that way, or open up opportunities like that would, would lead you to, to want to share that with those that you knew, even beyond your family, maybe with people you worked with, to certainly to teach your children to be grateful for the gift maybe that was left to you. Let's assume the gift that your grandmother gave you was something maybe even more personal than, uh, than an inheritance when she died. Let's say that when your grandmother died, she didn't leave you uh, a bank account full of cash, but she left you uh, a, a, an heirloom, uh, a, a ring that had been in her family for many, many years. And let's assume that with that ring, there was a story as well, as all good family heirlooms have. So with this one, your grandmother, growing up in the Depression era, uh, uh, had uh, this, this ring, and this ring did not initially belong to her, it belonged to her mother. And going through the Depression, times were tied, and so her mother had to sell the ring, had to pawn the ring to have some money to be able to put food on the table. And several years later, her mother was out about, and uh, uh, things had gotten better for them financially, and she stopped by a a pawn shop, and she found there her ring again, the one that she had pawned to pay for her family, and was able to buy it back and then give it to 
her daughter, again, your grandmother, who then gave it to you. That ring with that story, uh, that ring has much more than just a monetary value, much more than just financial value. It, it now has family value. There's a, there's a story that has built up and, and now is part of that ring. And, and that is a sort of value. That inspires a sort of gratitude in you that might not lead you to want to tell everybody else about it, but to just very quietly, privately treasure the gift that you have been given. Good gifts inspire great gratitude, sometimes publicly, sometimes a kind of gratitude that just just pours out of you uh, in rejoicing to other people. And sometimes really, really good gifts inspire the kind of gratitude within us that just leads us to deep, personal, private contemplation and treasuring of the gift that has been given. The truth is that the reality of Christ's birth at Christmas far greater than an inheritance or a family heirloom. The gift that is Christ's birth at Christmas inspires great displays of both private and public gratitude in the lives of those who realize just how good a gift he is. We're going to see in Luke chapter 2, two different responses of gratitude to the reception of the gift that is Jesus. And we'll look at those in just a moment. But I would hope that as a result of reflecting upon the lives of these that are showing gratitude for Jesus's, uh, the gift that is Jesus's birth, his incarnation, that we would also seek to show gratitude for the gift of Christ, both privately and publicly, as followers of Jesus, as those who have received the gift that is Christ. Before we read Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20, I'd like to summarize what happened in the verses previous, and I'm going to use somebody else's words to summarize that. In the beginning of Luke uh, chapter 2, we have the story of the announcement of Jesus' birth by angels to shepherds, and uh, if you have not ever uh, read it or seen it, this is the uh, this is the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd Jones, uh, with fantastic illustrations. If you're looking for a last minute gift to give to a family member, this would be a really good one. Um, uh, Sally Lloyd Jones goes through all of Scripture and and hits uh, some of the major and even some of the minor stories throughout all of Scripture to show how all of God's promises, all the hopes and expectations of Scripture find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And this is how she summarizes the first verses of Luke chapter 2. She says, That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared. Of all the stars in the dark vaulted heavens, this one shone clearer. It blazed in the night and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when his baby son was born to be like a spotlight shining on him, lighting up the darkness, showing people the way to him. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep all the good news to himself. He'd been waiting all these long years for this moment, and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. He'd sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He'd put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. He's here. He's come. Go and see him, my little boy. Now, where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or a palace, perhaps? And God sent his to a little hillside outside a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside Bethlehem. 
In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds. They used to say that they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scruffy old riffraff. But God must have thought shepherds were very important indeed because they're the ones that he chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in the open fields warming themselves by a campfire when suddenly the sheep darted. They were frightened by something. The olive trees rustled. What was that? A wing beat? They turned around. Standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone everywhere. Today in David's town in Bethlehem, God's son has been born. You can go and see him. He's sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange glowing cloud, except that it wasn't a cloud. It was angels, troops and troops of angels armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song. Glory to God. To God be fame and honor and all our hoorays. Then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading from his word, the Bible, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20, picking up the rest of the story. Luke, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, When the angels went away from them, from the shepherds, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. The reality of Christ's birth inspires great displays of both public and private gratitude. In this passage, we see two examples, uh, uh, one of, of each of these kinds of gratitude on display. We see first the shepherd's public praise, the shepherd's public praise. These uh, raggedy bunch of guys on a hillside taking care of sheep, receiving the good news from these angels that the Messiah, the Jesus, the Christ has been born in Bethlehem and that they can go and find him and where they can find them and how they can find him. Uh, they, upon hearing the news from the angels, immediately go to find Jesus. And upon seeing him, they are exceedingly grateful. Their public praise is first immediate and continual. Uh, upon realizing the gift that has been given in Christ the Lord who is born in Bethlehem, they cannot but erupt in praise, and their praise is immediate and continual. In verses 16 and 17, and then in verse 20, we see this illustrated for us. I think it's interesting that we find that the shepherds are a people of haste in this passage. Right? As soon as the angel army ends their annunciation, they leave immediately. The, the text says to us in verse 16 that they went with haste. They went very quickly, immediately, uh, almost like, uh, you know, it's funny. Jesus tells the parable of the, uh, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. These shepherds have left all 100 to go find Jesus. They leave immediately to go find where this Christ child is and this young family who is caring for him. Verse 17 tells us that when they saw it, 
They made known the saying when they saw Jesus and Mary and Joseph in the manger, the way that the angels had described. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There's absolutely no hesitation on the part of these shepherds to share the good news of what they have seen and heard and been witness to. As soon as they see it, they realize what this great gift is. And as soon as that, that reality dawns upon them, their first impulse is to go tell other people. This is too good of news to keep to ourselves. We must share it with others. Verse 20 notes for us that after they visit the newborn Jesus and share the news with uh, uh, those who are there in Bethlehem, that they return to their flocks and their fields with continued rejoicing. Verse 20 says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So their public praise, their public uh, uh, expression of gratitude for God's gift is, is not only immediate once they realize how great the gift is, but it's also continual. It's the kind of praise, the kind of gratitude welling up in them that that can't be all expressed at once. And the kind of gratitude that doesn't seem to ever run out, but the sort of gratitude at the realization of the gift that God has given that lasts for a long time. The shepherds publicly praise God with hearts of gratitude immediately and continually. But we find also that their public praise is widespread. These verses in which we find the shepherds uh, glorifying God and giving thanks and praise to him for his gift do not tell us explicitly how widespread the shepherds' message was. But verses 17 and 18 would lead us to understand that they had talked to a number of actual people about what they saw. Verse 17 says, When they saw it, they made known the saying, uh, that they had been uh, that had been told them concerning this child. Verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Verse 18 doesn't tell us how many people the shepherds talked to in Bethlehem that night or along the way back to their, their uh, hillside with their flocks. But that phrase, all who heard it, uh, seems to imply at, at least more than two or three people, right? In the town center, in the marketplace, all along as they walked through the, the little town of Bethlehem to return to their fields and their flocks, they are sharing the good news of what has happened. They are expressing with hearts of gratitude the good gift that God has given, not just to them and not just to Mary and Joseph, but to the whole world. The content of their message apparently, apparently is compelling enough to cause wonder to fill the hearts and minds of those who hear it. What is the content of the message that the shepherds are sharing? Well, if you turn back in your Bibles or just look to a few verses ahead and, or, or back, excuse me, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 11, this is the announcement of the angels, which we can assume was also the, the announcement, the, the, uh, the message that the shepherds took to those. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine a bunch of raggedy old shepherds, maybe a little bit smelling like sheep, and if you've spent much time around sheep, you know how they smell, walking through Bethlehem, apparently have abandoned their flocks on the hillside, and are walking through this little town telling everyone good news of great joy, because unto us is born in this city, in Bethlehem, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. As they're going through Bethlehem, shouting this good news, expressing their gratitude to God for what a great gift uh, has been given, the people are expressing awe and wonder at it. Maybe they're in awe at wonder at just the fact that these shepherds are not where they're supposed to be. 
But perhaps they're, they're more in awe and wonder at the content of their message, which I think is precisely what Luke intends for us to understand, that the content of the message, that the Christ is here, is the sort of good news that when you hear it, 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 it stops you in your tracks and makes you think a little bit about what it is that they are saying. About 300 years before Jesus was born, the philosopher Aristotle had some uh, less than kind words to say about shepherds. He thought that shepherds were especially lazy, that they made their living by watching other people's sheep, and all they had to do was take them from one grass field to another grass field to let them eat and just kind of hang around and then collect their due at the end of the week. Aristotle thought that most shepherds were drunks and uh, not uh, the particular kind of people that you would maybe want to leave your children with for date night. The testimony of Scripture about shepherds, though, is, is actually quite different. They were raggedy people. These are hard-working, rough-neck kind of people. Shepherding is not easy work. You don't just sit there and watch sheep eat. Uh, sheep are wandering types of animals. When we lived, when our family lived in California uh, at the seminary uh, on the campus of Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, uh, the, the campus itself was on the hills of Marin County. And there were some very steep hillsides on which grass would grow, and it would grow rather tall. And you could not safely mow it with a mower. So the seminary would contract with some herdsmen to bring their sheep uh, uh, and then, well, initially it was goats, but then the goats got out and they ate somebody's petunias that were not supposed to. So it changed from goats to sheep. Uh, and the sheep would walk along these steep hillsides eating the grass that could not be mowed. And it was something of an attraction for the community and for our children and other seminary students' children to go and watch these sheep. But sheep are a wandering kind of animal. In fact, the, the, the shepherd who had watched the sheep, he had not only a sheep dog with him, but everywhere that he would take the sheep, he would have to set up uh, an electrified fence around the area so the sheep would not get out. Uh, that is just, they are just a wandering type of animal animal. One year, the sheep were eating on a hillside right outside of our apartment, just across the, across the street from our apartment, and the gate broke, or the electrified fence broke, and the sheep got loose. And not just one or two wandering sheep, but like 250 of them, all running across campus. It was hilarious. But it was, it was, uh, there was nothing I could do but videotape it or video it on my phone. And it was hilarious to watch. I felt bad, but I also laughed. To watch the shepherd and the sheepdog trying to corral these sheep again. Right? Shepherding is hard work because sheep are wandering types of animals. And so while Aristotle may have thought very, very little about shepherds, I think in reality their, their profession is a noble one. Uh, so much so that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. If, shepherd, if, if shepherds were, were not seen highly in, in, in Scripture or in the world, why would Jesus then say, I'm the best of them? At any rate, these rag, ragtag group of shepherds leave their flocks that night to go search the city for a baby. And they're abandoning their flocks to go look for a baby could only have been prompted by a severe emergency or by some news so great that tending to that news was more important than tending to their sheep. These shepherds have a, a, a real insight into the truth of who Jesus is, that they are willing to leave their sheep to go find a baby. It's a big deal for a shepherd to abandon his sheep. They suddenly become prey to wolves, bears, lions, whatever, maybe out in the, in the wilderness. They may wander off. You could lose some. 
But that risk, taking that risk was worth it for these shepherds to go find this Christ child who was born in Bethlehem. And when they see him, when they realize the gift that has been given, the only thing that they can do is show public gratitude, to praise God publicly for the good gift that has been given. Dear friends, this Christmas, endeavor to show public gratitude for the gift of Christ. If you're an introvert, I won't ask you to raise your hand because that's just totally not within you. If you're an introvert, you know that showing public gratitude, praising God publicly in the city square, in the town, is hard for you to do. I am an introvert. Some of you are scratching your heads and wondering how that can be. Uh, I, I enjoy being with people. I like being around people. I like, uh, and, and not just like, but am fulfilled in preaching God's word publicly this way. But it is exhausting for me to be around people. It takes energy to be around people for me. If you're an introvert, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The thought of walking into the center of Coronado Mall and saying, praise God, Christ has been born. This is good news for you. People, put down the sunglasses and listen to what I'm saying. Right? The thought of that is, is, is terrifying. Right? That's not what we do as introverts. It's hard for us as introverts to praise God publicly because we do most of our praise and worship, I think, privately. We, 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 we go internal, and, and that doesn't mean that we don't praise God. We just, as introverts, we do it differently. We, we praise God internally. We, 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 we get private. We, we kind of close in, and that's not to shut people out, but it's to, to give proper attention to the most important thing that, that we are seeking to, to think about or to work on or, or to work through or to pray about. But friends, showing public gratitude for the gift of Christ at Christmas is good for us introverts to do. It is good for we who would rather be more private, who would rather be uh, more contemplative and, and personal in our worship and gratitude for the gift that Christ is. It's good for us introverts to get outside ourselves to praise God publicly for the gift that is Christ at Christmas. I'm not telling you to go to Coronado Mall this afternoon and shout that in the middle of the foyer, although maybe God is calling you to do that. Maybe your, your public gratitude expressed for the gift that is Jesus at Christmas as an introvert looks like going to your neighbor, uh, the person who lives across the street from you, maybe a, um, maybe a, a widow who lives down the road from you, and, and just going and sharing with them how grateful you are to live in the neighborhood with them and that you are especially grateful and excited this Christmas because of who Jesus is. That God would take on flesh to be one of us, to live a sinless life, to die on the cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, to be raised from the dead, and that at Christmas you're just especially grateful for Jesus. And because you're grateful for good neighbors, you just want to share that with them. Maybe that's what it looks like for you as an introvert. And maybe it looks like going to the mall and shouting to the heavens and anyone who will listen. The good news that Christ is born. Whatever it looks like, dear friend, Show public gratitude for the gift of Christ this Christmas. It is good news that is not worth keeping to yourself. The shepherds show us an example of public praise. But then Mary, the mother of Jesus, shows an example of showing gratitude in a different way. She shows us an example of private contemplation. Now, all of you introverts are going, yes, I can get in on that. And all of you extroverts are going, wait, what? Let's look at Mary's private contemplation. All of this happens for us in verse 19. 
The shepherds come, they find Mary and Joseph in, the, uh, in this uh, uh, manger, in this stable. They, they, they see Jesus lying there in this feeding trough and, and they are praising God and erupting and, and, and shouts of, of glory to God and ready to go share the good news. But here's what Mary does, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary's Gratitude is not shown in public praise, but in private contemplation. And her gratitude builds slowly. It builds slowly. Her response in verse 19 to treasure up and ponder these things in her heart has the effect that just verse 19 itself has the effect of slamming the brakes on the whole narrative of Jesus's birth right? Everything's happening really, really fast. The angels show up in the hillside. They talk to the shepherds. They tell the shepherds all the things that are going on. The shepherds are like, hey, this is great news. So we run to Bethlehem. They go, they find the baby. They're really, really excited about that. They're apparently telling people about this news on the way to find the baby. And even as they leave, but then right at verse 19, we, Luke slams the brakes on the, on the narrative for us. And he says, but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. Luke wants us to stop. He wants us to contemplate with Mary the things that have happened. Mary treasured up all of these things. That word treasured means that she took intentional mental effort to be fully aware of everything that was going on cataloging every detail along the way so that she could review it later. There's not a a moment that she wants to miss. There's not a detail that she wants to slip uh, out of her mind. It's like Mary is almost counting the the straws of hay that are even in the manger where Jesus is laying because there's nothing about this moment that she wants to forget. She's treasuring it all up and she's pondering it in her heart. That word pondering means that she's taking careful consideration as to what all of this could mean and would mean. She's rolling this whole situation over in her mind, not just the fact that she's uh, given birth to her firstborn son who was conceived in her through the Holy Spirit, but, but everything. she's just thinking about, all, what does this mean? It's more than just nights up late with a crying baby who's either hungry or dirty or something. It's, it's more than just all the new family dynamics that now take place once a, a baby has come. She's, she's thinking about more than just her relationship to Joseph and how that will change. She's th- even thinking more uh, about more than just what other people are going to think about their family situation. This woman who became pregnant before she was married, supposedly uh, as a virgin through the Holy Spirit's miraculous work in her own life. It's more than that. She's pondering the very reality that the God who created the universe is now sitting in her hands in a fragile, vulnerable baby, maybe still a little bit goopy from the delivery process, wrapped up in whatever scraps of clothing that they could find to wrap him in. The shepherds are thrilled, but Mary is treasuring all this up, pondering it in her heart. Now, surely this is not the first time that Mary has done this. Her treasuring up of the details, her pondering of what it all could mean and would mean, didn't start that night in Bethlehem. Surely, just knowing human nature and how how we work through things, through major events in life, it, it is fair for us to assume that this treasuring and pondering started nine months earlier. 
In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary for the first time that she would be pregnant. She's been treasuring up and pondering these things in her heart for at least 40 weeks. The treasuring, the pondering continued for another three months after that announcement by Gabriel when Mary went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And, and seeing how Elizabeth's son, who was uh, himself not, not uh, conceived of a, of a virgin, but miraculously conceived as his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were very, very old, the, the infant John, who is growing in Elizabeth's womb, leaps within her womb when Mary comes near, who is pregnant with Jesus. Mary is treasuring up those details, pondering them in her heart. The treasuring, the pondering is present in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, verses 46 through 55, when Mary, where we have recorded a song of praise that Mary gives uh, after uh, visiting with her cousin Elizabeth. She says there in Luke 1, 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And even now, as smelly shepherds abandon their flocks to find a young family in a stable with a baby, as divinely instructed, Mary is still treasuring up and pondering every detail, every event, every moment along the way. Her gratitude, her contemplation of all that has happened in her life has been growing, it's been simmering, it's been bubbling up over several months. Her private contemplation, personal worship and gratitude for the gift that God has given has, is not happening just in this one moment at this one night, but it's been growing, it's been building. You uh, women who have had children like Mary who have been pregnant and delivered babies, you've probably done the same thing. Week by week, day by day, month by month, trimester after trimester, treasuring up every little detail, every little kick, every little movement of the baby within you, and also thinking about what does all of this mean? So it is for Mary, her gratitude through private contemplation, building slowly. It doesn't just build slowly, though. It's also deeply personal. It's deeply personal. As Luke takes us from the widespread public announcement by the shepherds to whoever they can find to tell the good news to, to the very private thoughts of Mary in verse 19, we see just how personal every moment leading up to the birth of Jesus is for her. It was Mary, a young teenage girl, who met with Gabriel or was met by Gabriel, that angel. It was Mary who endured the shame that was associated with her premarital pregnancy. It was Mary who was up early with morning sickness or maybe up late with evening sickness. I don't know. It's different for every lady. It was she who, was, who not only carried, who not only bore and, and, and grew the infant Jesus in her womb, but delivered the Christ child into the world. I can't help but think back to the moments of my own daughter's births and just how deeply personal that, is, that was for my wife. Now, while that was a, an event of serious magnitude in my own life, I'm not the one that's doing all the hard work, right? So, so just trying to get my head into my wife's state of mind to think about, man, if my daughter's being born was such a big deal for me, how much more for her who did all the hard work? For Mary, the deep mystery of the incarnation, God adding humanity to his nature 
The deep mystery of the incarnation was not a vague abstraction for her. For Mary, the incarnation of the eternal Son of God was not this far-off idea that was incapable of, of having personal connection with. For her, it's real life. God was becoming a man inside the protection and comfort of her body. Amen. This is deeply personal for Mary. And it is also meant to be deeply personal for each of us as well. The eternal Son of God did not become human in the child Jesus of Nazareth for you, dear friend, to remain far off from Him, but rather for you to know Him in a personal and in an intimate way. As personally and as intimately as Mary herself. You who are extroverts... I don't know what it's like to be you, but I'm going to try to get in your head for a minute. Extroverts, when they hear good news, like to tell other people. They like to get it outside. Extroverts are verbal processors who, who like to talk through ideas and the implications of things with other people. Extroverts are energized by being around other people. Put an extrovert in a house by themselves, in a room all alone, and they will shrivel up and die. You put an introvert in the same situation and he'll look for a smaller closet to get into. I mean, that's just, that's how we are. Extroverts, it's not, and neither of these is bad. God makes extroverts and introverts uh, in his own wisdom and we need them all. Uh, Extroverts love to share things publicly and everything that they're thinking and everything that they're feeling, they like to share with other people. And that's not a bad thing. But listen, extroverts, it's also a really good thing for you to stop sharing everything with everybody once in a while to give time to quiet personal reflection, to get within yourself, to take an idea and, and, and mull it over in your own heart for a while, to, to pray for long periods of time alone in the presence of God. For all of us, it is appropriate to give quiet personal reflection for the mystery and the wonder of the incarnation at Christmas. It's good for all of us to, at Christmas, take time by ourselves, alone, maybe with just a, a Bible and a journal and our pen, and, and, and just roll over in our head and in our heart the reality that is that God became human so that he could live a sinless life, and that by his righteousness and in his death for our sins, we could be free from the thing that plagues our souls most dangerously. And not just that we could be free from sin, but also its effects, the effects of sin, which is death, and that we could be in a right relationship with God who made us. That is a big deal. And it's a big idea to to process. So as we think about the good news that is the gift of Christ at Christmas, and we think about being the kind of gratitude that that, that that ought to inspire within us, The gift that is Christ at Christmas should not just inspire in us public gratitude, sharing with others the good news that is Jesus, but it also ought to well up in and drive us to deep, personal, meaningful contemplation of the wonder and mystery of the incarnation at Christmas. Nothing like this in history has ever happened. Nothing like this in history will ever happen again. Jesus Christ was born, the eternal Son of God, born a man, a fragile human body in a tumble-down stable in Bethlehem so that he could 
live the life you could not in perfect relationship with God and so that he could die the death that you deserve, the death for your sin, so that if you would just by faith and turning from your obedience to yourself to now turn and be obedient to God, to follow after Jesus, to in faith trust your whole life, your entire future to him, you could be saved from sin, rescued from disaster, restored to relationship with God. The mystery and wonder of Christmas which is just the beginning of of our redemption, is a massive thing to contemplate. But it's worthy of our contemplation. Introverts, we have no problem contemplating the wonder and mystery of the incarnation at Christmas. In fact, we thrive there. We like taking these huge abstract things and, 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 and trying to, to make them bite-sized in our own minds so that we can just snack on our own thoughts. But extroverts, this is harder for you. As hard as it would be for an introvert to go stand in the middle of Coronado Mall and shout to everybody who's passing by that there's good news, Jesus has been born, it's going to be equally as difficult for extroverts to get quiet and get private and get personal to let the mystery and wonder of the incarnation take root and blossom in their own hearts. But we need to do it. We need to do both. Good gifts inspire great gratitude. And great gratitude that is expressed both publicly, public praise for what God has done, and privately, privately through personal contemplation about the effects, the impact, the change and transformation that these realities ought to bring about in our own lives. Friends, Christmas is a great time to be grateful and not just for the gifts that we are given and receive from family members and friends, but for the greatest gift, maybe the good gift that has been given in Jesus Christ born at Christmas. Let us seek to have great gratitude for what Christ has done in being born for us. Let's pray.